five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. I would like to welcome back Wayne Ellis, a space and defense consultant with AppSpace Solutions of Winnipeg and a past president of the Canadian Space Society. In today's show, Wayne and I are going to discuss some of the notable current events. Welcome back, Wayne. Oh, well, thanks, Mark. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So uh, we've got about seven topics to cover, and we're going to start off with Moon versus Mars. So uh, from my perspective, I've uh, covering this over the years uh, with SpaceRef on the U.S. side of things, and of course uh, on NASA Watch, we've seen the journey to Mars, which has been really pushed by uh, NASA uh, for many years. Uh, that seems to be uh, being pushed into the back, and the Moon seems to be coming to the forefront. Uh, um, I have, you know, some thoughts on that, but uh, uh, what do you think about all this moon versus Mars? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been also been seeing sort of in the news and from various, um, you know, information sources that it really does seem that while, you know, with the Curiosity rovers and the Spear rovers and, and, and a lot of the other experiments uh, that have gone on, you know, in and around uh, Mars, um there does seem to be some concern in, in well, maybe we'll say in the Mars community or the Mars, you know, the science, scientific community that, you know, we may be missing some opportunities because, as we know, there's like you know, there's basically a two year two year window where, you know, you kind of have to. You know, get things off of, off of Earth on its way to, to Mars, and, and 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 vice versa. So you got you, so 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 a lot of the experiments and, and a lot of the technology development are really you know sort of set up and 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 orchestrated uh, around these these launch windows and, and that. So, um, I mean, one one of the things I you know I I think you probably saw as well in in not too. Uh, far in, in in the past here was that even you know some of the, the space entrepreneurs like uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know some of the dialogue that now that's kind of coming up him you know when you see him at various um, conferences in, in in again in the recent past year, have sort of started to indicate that you know maybe all the technology is not there or all the maybe all the planning uh, is not there and 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 maybe really what we're seeing is is that. Um, you know, he as well, and maybe other entrepreneurs, you know, are, are seeing maybe a shift in, in sort of the the, the winds of, of of change or of interest, you know, to uh, the moon as as maybe a a, a much more logical um, development point uh, or, or or you know destination for um, you know for for the various um, you know scientists and, and entrepreneurs. I mean, you you obviously had your you know sp- your space uh, Q uh, podcast uh, a few weeks ago there. Um, uh, you, you know, talking about the, you know, the competition, right? you know, to get, to get to Mars or sorry, to get to the moon. And, you know, so, so, so I mean, really what we're seeing there is that I think as, as those competitions, um, you know, get closer to, you know, their fruition or, or, to, you know, to coming to an end that, um, there, there's, they're kind of like generating even more excitement as far as what could be done on the, on the moon surface. Um, so, to, so you're actually talking about the Google Lunar X Prize, which in theory has an end date of uh, the end of this year for uh, one of the four remaining uh, entrants um, to actually launch their mission. They don't have to succeed by the end of the year, but they have to launch their mission to, to the moon uh, by the end of the year. Now, having said that, 
Um, you know, the Google Lunar X Prize was the brainchild of um, uh, Sergey uh, Brin and Larry Page at uh, at Google, uh, and they actually want to see somebody win the prize. So if if things are progressing, and it looks like you know. Teams are only a couple months away from launch, but can't launch by the end of 2017. I understand that the rules are flexible and that they could actually extend that deadline again, which, you know, would be a good thing instead of just a hard deadline because then nobody would win. And, uh, you know, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to foster competitiveness, uh, innovation uh, for the moon. But going back to this moon versus Mars. So are we actually seeing a momentum sh- momentum shift to the moon or is it actually is it real or is it perceived because for many years now i mean and it takes time um you have to plan for missions uh many years ahead of time for especially for mars with your launch window opportunities uh the moon not not as much but you know nasa's been developing hardware that can go to you know the moon. First, it was the asteroid redirect mission, but it was in the moon vicinity. So, you know, the launch, space launch system, the Orion spacecraft, you know, these are things that have been talked about going towards moon and eventually on the journey to Mars to get to Mars. So the moon was actually part of that picture. And of course, we have the Google Lunar X Prize. And then we have private companies that have been interested in the moon. So is the shift a real shift? Like, is it real or is it actually just perceived? Well, my personal opinion is, is that it, it, it is probably a real shift. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, you mentioned those competitions uh, is certainly a factor, but I, I think as well if, if you look over the history of where we are uh, internationally in terms of, of the interest uh, to, towards the moon, China has been very busy uh, in, in launching various, uh, you know, lunar missions, uh, rover missions uh, to to the moon, and getting data back and and making progress there. Uh, India as well has has been making a number of moves uh, towards the, the moon and so and and also um you can't uh, forget to mention you know that under isa um uh, was dr Werner. i mean you know one of the things one of his i think you know sort of pet interests i mean i shouldn't say, shouldn't say pet interests but one of, his, one of his interests is you know creating some kind of lunar village uh, on the moon as a way to 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 to, to encourage you know more activity there you know more development and, and 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 probably more along the lines of you know recognizing just as you said that there are a lot of things that can and should be proven on, you know, the lunar on the lunar surface. You know, I mean, you know, Leo is is, is great. You know, you know, microgravity is great. You know, you get your cislunar space. There's the, the you know the Lagrange points. You know, at some point they'll probably get exploited uh, to, to to some degree. But when it comes right down to it, where, where you really need to move your experiments to a far enough uh, area and to really give some of the, the, the these technologies a real, you know, I guess a real goal, um, the moon makes the most sense. And I think when, when, you, when you compare, you know, when you combine that with, you know, the, the Google uh, Lunar X Prize, where in a sense, you know, some of these entrepreneurs and some of these companies are now looking at, well, if I can extract, uh, you know, water, if I can extract other types of minerals and get those back to, to Earth uh, for for some type of commercial activity, I think they're starting to see that there is is a real potential there. And then so once you get you start that commerce cycle going, uh, and you get you know you, you set up a, a lunar base, and then there's you know more people there, and then those people you know they need to be sorted, and and and, and you know so really commerce can do a lot to 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 generate uh, activity. Now so, you know. 
it, it just, I just want to make one, one final point there. I mean, I think where we're, where we're really at now in terms of Moon and, and Mars is, is seeing how the international leaders uh, can sort of uh, guide us with either infrastructure leadership or imagination leadership. And so infrastructure leadership is really where we're saying we're, we're taking sort of a um, an adult view of the kind of technologies that or capabilities that we want to invest in, even if they're not super sexy or super interesting to the general public, right? This this is the this is the kind of leadership that we always hope the government is gonna, you know, is gonna gonna exercise when they're you're spending our money. The imagination leadership is really the generation of, of those, you know, you know, wow type ideas or or um, competitions like the uh, Canadian CubeSat uh, project, you know, those kind of things that where where you're you're still trying to, you know, because I don't want really want to say innovation anymore, but anyway, you, we're really trying to you, you create more innovation, create more excitement from the brain trust that we have in Canada towards some of these activities. So anyway, that's what I, I'm kind of seeing. I, I think there's that we're getting more of these two types of uh, of leadership, and and they're really kind of aimed now at the moon. So. I'd say that we're leading towards, uh, there seems to be a convergence here between the commercial sector, which has for a long time been advocating uh, commercial uh, resource development uh, on the moon, um, to actually on the policy side, where you're seeing space agencies that are putting the moon in the forefront. And, and I'd say that you mentioned Jan Werner. Well, Jan Werner was uh, um, the head of the DLR, the German Space Agency. And when he was there, he was already uh, putting forward the idea of the moon village. Then he became the director general of ESA, where he's continued to talk about the moon village. And the moon village, the concept really is a, a, a broad international cooperation uh, nations working together to uh, use the moon uh, to further science and also uh, uh, the commercial side of it. So we are seeing that. Uh, Canada's participation in that is uh, is definitely uh, something that uh, is going to be decided as we go forward, but some of the precursor studies are already underway. And funding, actually, in some of these technologies uh, in traditional areas like robotic arm, uh, in particular, uh, robotic arm for a cislunar uh, habitat or mini space station, if you will. Uh, And of course, uh, starting in 2007, 2008 or so, development in in rover technology that uh, could uh, eventually make its way to the moon. Okay, so we've talked about moon Mars, our moon versus Mars, moon and Mars, and the Mars... Uh, uh, exploration of Mars is definitely going to be ongoing and uh, there are assets uh, at Mars already but if we're going to continue that journey to Mars there still has to be incremental uh, investments in that including uh, putting a, another orbiter into uh, into orbit around Mars that has a uh, the, that has a multi-role uh, uh, Mission, which includes communications, because the the, the communication satellites around uh, the Mars right now are getting close to their end time. Uh, so uh, they're looking at, and I do believe that uh, uh, Congress has. Um, uh, agreed that they will go forward with an orbiter for 2022, which is a good thing because Canada is going to have an instrument on that uh, potentially. Uh, that'll be a discussion for another podcast. But anyway, so that's the moon Mars. So let's move on to our next topic, and that's small sats and big data. So small sats offer us. Uh, 
incredible opportunity because of their low cost um, compared to putting something uh, like a huge satellite in geo. Uh, and of course, big data is, is, is changing things. We're getting so much data. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on, on how small sats and big data are, are, are working together? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing in is, is, is and, and I know you're well versed in, 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 in talking about small sats because you've organized conferences uh, around these. But you know, I think one of the things that we're also sort of seeing is, is becoming more and more, you know, accepted or prevalent or, or whatever is that the the actual physical size of a space system uh, is not really the the main determinant of the usefulness of the, of that system. So as as technologies, uh, various types of space components become even more and more mature and maybe even more and more miniaturized, what we're kind of seeing is that you know. Yeah, there could there, there there could be big sats and there could be small sats, but it could be even now even cube sats that have now an operational flavor. They're 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 providing some type of operational mission that is is providing value to you know whoever built it or launched it or, or whatever. So so in a sense, you know you know we, we may just be coming to the fact that you know, there are all the satellites. You know we don't have to you know there's nothing to be gained by you know calling something a small sat versus a, a big satellite or or whatever. Um, it's really just a matter of you know the overall effect that they're bringing um, um, to the ground. So you know. And I guess the other thing too is is and this is particularly important to 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 CubeSats, you know, as as these particular systems become you know more you know, utilized you know in a in a widespread sense, and you know because they're using you know you know components that are have been well proven, uh, you know in, in a sense this is this is is happening because the you know universities or even smaller companies uh, that are are producing these 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 um uh these these smaller satellites have to go this route they have to bring make things more uh, operational because they are competing for you know funding for support from 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 various you know you know it could be academic could be from government could be uh, from industry you know in order to field these systems right so so the drive really is to bring things down in in, in a smaller sense and to make it more operational now you know the effect uh, or a lot of the output of these systems for, you know from 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 large and and now more and more to to small like 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 planet labs and, and that is that they are producing a lot of data and so and this is, again is another factor of, of the components and and the, uh, the 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 kind of processing uh, that they can do on board or where these these uh, systems can connect either in space or on the ground to get some of their processing done and then get that that final final product whatever it is could be an image could be a movie could be whatever uh, to you know to to the market so we're so we're seeing a lot of advances and a lot of changes in, in that aspect and of course this is really where a lot of the big data uh, problem is coming from, but uh, you know, it, 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 all the te- this technology is related for sure. So here's a question for you, um, and, and it's not a, just uh, related to small sets, I, I suppose. Um, since we have s- so much data that's coming in, and this was one of the questions I actually asked uh, uh, Surrey Satellite Systems many years ago, uh, and, and they said they were working on it <laughs> back oh. then. Is that we, there's you know people truly don't understand how much data these satellites are producing and will be producing going forward. So, so you have small companies like Earthcast, uh, which at the moment has its two DMO satellites, but plans to have a, a constellation of uh, another 16 or so satellites, I believe. Uh, you have GHC stat, 
uh, GHGSAT, uh, which is, uh, you know, tracking uh, methane emissions. Um, and they have one satellite now, and they're looking at maybe doing another 20-odd satellites. And these are all small satellites. So we're talking small satellites right now. These are small companies, and they're going to be getting a lot of data. So are, are we going to see... First of all, can they handle their own data? That's number one. Can they can they handle the amount of data that's coming in, and how? Um, and if they can't, what then? And then you have other companies like Skywatch, which are developing a platform to process data and to uh, disseminate that data, uh, but they don't actually have their own satellites. So. Do you see companies like Skywatch, uh, you know, having to partner with GHGSAT and Earthcast to actually help them with that data processing? Or will those companies keep it internal? How do you see things sort of falling out in the near term? Well, I think the explosion in in terms of the number of space systems and you know, in, in, in perhaps the, the the trend to smaller space systems but the trend in, in in terms of you know more and more data being gathered by you know these systems is has been around for for a while so I think many of these companies already realize that you know when they get these systems uh, fielded they, they you know they have you know, they've already kind of designed and have an expectation for how much data they're, each one of those systems is going to be producing and have to have a plan uh, for where that data is going to go and, and then, you know, where, where it's going to get processed and how it's going to get, you know, again, to uh, its final market. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I would not, I'm not too worried about uh, that aspect, I, I think, as well. Um, you know, even separate from space systems, you know, the problem or the challenge of big data is something that, you know, many, uh, I'll say industry sectors are, are looking at and, 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 and trying to figure out how to manage. So I, 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 I would foresee that that technology and that capability is just going to advance uh, at probably at the same pace as, you know, space technology for, you know, taking imagery or taking, you know, movies from space. Uh, so, so I see there's probably going to be some dovetailing of, of capability uh, there. Uh, sure. The other thing, too, is, you know, there's, there's going to be the data that is going to be really valuable you know, now or, you know, in, in the near future, like real time or near real time. And so a lot of co- like, you know, companies like Earthcast and GHGSAT and, you know, they already have uh, either current clients now or, you know, they have, they know who the clients are, are going to be in, in, in the relatively near future for that kind of data. That's great because that gets them their, their money, their seed money, their development money and, they, and, and the way they go. Um, but the other thing is, 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 is that if you look at like RaiderSat, you know, RaiderSat 2 and, and, you know, these systems, of course, are are, are have been getting uh, been taking imagery and, and and building up data, you know, for years, right? So, the you know the various governments and and industry partners and GHG GHG is, is is a good example of this as well, where that data of of emissions, you know, methane emissions around the world. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a real time aspect to it, but there's also sort of a data mining aspect uh, to it, where you know, I mean, governments or or other organizations, you know, later on down the road are going to say, well, I don't need that data right now, but I'm probably going to want to you know look at it or in in some other other way down in in the future, because I think my operations are going to be affected by that data. Right. So, so you don't see that there'll be an issue. Um, 
Well, 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 let me just say this, you know, because you also had another uh, uh, interesting article about this problem about um, Inuvik and uh, you know the ground station uh, facility up there, and 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 some of the. Uh, I guess the legal regulatory uh, issues in, in terms of getting that that uh, area, I'm sorry that uh, facility uh, operational and be able being able to receive you know data from from, from satellites right so I mean th- there are you know there could be those hurdles right that have to be overcome and, and so you've you've sort of pointed that one out uh, but I think technology wise uh, I, I think. You know, I think they have a good grasp on that. They should have. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the ground station issue. I think that's uh, something that's going to uh, get fixed up in due course. Um, the government just has to act on it, you know, because, well, as you, you know, we need ground stations, more of them, because there's going to be more data coming in. Um, I'll just give uh, a shout out to, uh, like you said, I've organized conferences, including uh, I did organize the last Canadian or actually the first Canadian small sat symposium last year. Uh, and I'll just give a shout out to them uh, since SpaceQ is a media sponsor that the Canadian small sat symposium, the next one is uh, February the 13th through 15th uh, next year uh, in Toronto uh, at the, the Western Prince and the U.S. URL for that is smallsat.ca. So uh, there's a plug for them. I'm not involved in the conference uh, other than an advisor. And of course, uh, SpaceQ is uh, the media sponsor. Um, any other thoughts on, on, on small sats and big data before we move on to the next uh, our next topic? No, I mean, I, I mean, you know, there is the small sat conference going on in, in Utah uh, right now. So, um, um, you know, there, there are some news coming out of that uh, almost on a daily basis. I'll be interested to see, you know, what, what the outcomes of that uh, conference uh, will be in the coming weeks. Well, maybe we can talk about that on the next show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. So um, the moon. Oh, we've got some exciting news from the moon, at least uh, from a Brown University study that was published uh, July 24th, I believe. And it said new evidence of water on the moon. In particular, uh, the study found that numerous volcanic deposits distributed across the surface of the moon contain unusually high amounts of trapped water compared with surrounding terrains. And according to the researchers, this bolsters the idea that the lunar mantle is surprisingly water rich so you know for many many well until recently you know several years ago we just assumed that uh, you know the available water on the moon would be negligible well now it's turning into the fact that there might be a heck of a lot of uh, water on the moon whether it's uh, how much of it is accessible is a different topic but or, or an issue I should say not a different topic so what do you think of these uh, uh, the new results or this new study well, it certainly is very, very interesting, and I think again, what it what is what it is going to lead to is is actually going to point us even more to the moon versus versus Mars, because when we when we start to see uh, or we start to receive some of the, this this information uh, from these studies, which you know, b- you know, before this study, it was largely assumed that you know, the 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 the, the moon might have some some water you know at the poles, but you know, for the most part, the rest of it was pretty dry, and 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 and, and that was it. So, if if now it looks like that water, even though it's you know really compared to the lunar surface, is 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 you know a small percentage, 
if it's much more widespread and uh, and, and in, in that sense maybe more uh, obtainable, that also lends credence to saying, you know what, it is much more possible and and feasible for us to set up, you know, a, a some type of habitat on on a lunar surface and. If there is more water, and we, as we know, water, yeah, we need water for to, to live on the moon. On the moon, but we also uh, would like to use that water to break it down and 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 create rocket fuel out of it. And if we can do that, um, that's it could be a market right there because, from what I understand, it's actually cheaper to move get something from the moon to low Earth orbit than it is for, to get it from you know the planet's Earth's surface uh, to Leo. So you you could see you know conceptually. You know, the moon being the gas station for low Earth orbit uh, satellites. And then when you mix that in with, uh, you know, robotic servicing and all that kind of stuff, you've got, you know, a, a potential uh, infrastructure there of, of, uh, of, of space systems, supporting space systems. It certainly makes uh, in situ uh, resource utilization uh, as a test bed on the moon uh, something very attractive, uh, which, of course, uh, uh, would then uh, be useful for uh, further uh, exploration as we go to, to Mars and beyond and and having the need to develop further uh, in situ, uh, in situ uh, resource utilizations on, on, on those uh, planetary uh, bodies. Um, okay, so... Uh, I think it's a, it, it's an exciting development. It just adds more fuel to the fire that, yes, the moon, we are going back to the moon, and uh, uh, we will, uh, and of course, we will see uh, the moon being used as a, uh, not just the lunar surface, but the uh, in cislunar uh, uh, area being used as a test bed uh, before we then go on to uh, uh, to Mars. I, I have to point out, and I, I forgot to mention this earlier, when we were talking about Moon versus Mars, because it's, it's kind of relevant. Um, you know, the first space conference that I ever went to, uh, and the book that I read that got me to go to that conference was called The Case for Mars. And the conference was the first uh, uh, conference of the Mars Society. Well, this year in September, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary, uh, which I can't believe 20 years has gone by. Um, but you can't it, believe that. Well, <laughs> what's interesting about that is that when I went to the conference, it seemed like a fait accompli, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, 10 to 20 years, humans would be uh, on Mars. Uh, and of course, if you listen to Bob Zubrin back then, it had to be, you know, within 10 years. Uh, and here we are 20 years later, and it's the same thing, you know, every year at this conference, lots of new uh, discussions going on there. But I mean, you know, we can do it in, with 10 years if we had the political will. Um, and even Elon Musk has been, you know, saying, oh, we could do it by the mid 2020s. Um, but, you know, I, I still see it as, you know, well, another 10 to 20 years from now. <laughs> so could, it seems could, like, could very well be, you know, it could very um, well be, especially if we uh, if, if if depending on how your, your point of view is, take a detour uh, at the moon. Uh, but then again, we've always got Elon Musk who 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 wants to retire on Mars. So uh, as long as he's got companies that are making money uh, and able to fund and he, uh, fund this, and then, he's not an old guy. He's, he's not an old guy, right? So he, you know, there could be time. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, what forty uh, six, I think, something like that. Okay, so moving on uh, from. Uh, the moon, we're going to talk about some of the latest ideas or call for ideas from the Canadian Space Agency. 
So with the um, last week, the Canadian Space Agency issued a call for, uh, well, they put out an RFI uh, saying that they were interested in some uh, ideas for cislunar space, a deep space gateway, which is a managed uh, space station uh, within cislunar space. And we should let our listeners know, know that cislunar space is defined as the area between the Earth and the Moon. Uh, and of course, uh, lunar exploration, both robotic and humid. Uh, and they had like uh, 13 different technology areas that they or so that they were talking about. Uh, but they also had this other one, which uh, Sylvain Laporte told me in my first podcast would be for other ideas, which was basically, you come up with an idea, and you know, we'll consider it. So um, so this is just an RFI to let people know that this is what they're thinking about, that it may or may not lead towards a, uh, an actual request for proposals. Uh, it will lead to a request for proposals unless something really strange happens. Uh, and if I remember correctly, uh, that request for proposal would have proposals in the area of $100,000 per proposal. Don't know how many would get selected. Uh, and they would free be for like three month uh, study proposals. So uh, there's a whole variety of ideas that they put forward and, or topics. Uh, what's your uh, take on this? Well, I guess it from the outset, and because you know, I you know, in one of my other hats, you know, I you know try to sell software, and so we you know, keep our eye out on when, you know, RFIs and, and more importantly, RFPs uh, come out. And we obviously are much more excited about RFPs because that actually means that something actually looks like it's going get, to get, get procured. So I guess in a sense, it's it's nice to see uh, that these RFIs are, are coming out. Um, but, you know, and if, as you say, if there's going to be an RFP that follows us, then that's great. But even responding to RFIs costs industry money. And, uh, you know, and, and for the amount of money that, you know, you know, hundred thousand, you know, dollars, whatever this, you know, even for small companies, you know, we have to dedicate some resources to respond to an RFI. And now again, the RFIs, you know, is, you don't use it. They're not using that, that technical because the expectation is kind of low on what, what they're going to get, but it still takes time. And so, you know, from this RFI that you've, you've uh, pointed out here and indicated, I mean, there definitely is a whole hockey sock of, of technologies and capabilities that you know the CSA seems to be interested in. So, but you know, I, I would point out that yes, you're right. It does cost money to put together a, an RFI, but at the same time, if you're writing for a grant, you're putting together a grant proposal. Uh, I would argue, in some cases, it would takes more time to put together a grant proposal, uh, and you know, it comes out of your pocket. You're not getting money to to put the grant proposal together. Sure, but if you get the grant, then you get the, then you've got the grant, right? You get you have your whereas an RFI, you're just True. giving them you're just giving them ideas, and maybe you're hopefully uh, forming uh, some aspect of RFP that you may be competitive in uh, to to a certain extent. So so I mean obviously there's there, there, it's a good reason. I mean that's why you have RFIs and and uh, you know to help flesh out RFPs uh, when they come out. Um, I you know one of the other things that sort of kind of strikes me about these kind of things, and in, in a way it kind of relates to uh, Moon versus Mars, and even uh, you know Mars versus like Europa or or anything else out uh, else out there that we might want to do uh, scientifically. Is we want to try to engage industry. Um, and we hear a lot more about you know public-private uh, partnerships and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there really is, I, I would say, almost like an exploration horizon uh, or limit that that industry uh, can really look at. Uh, you know, certain ideas, right? So, so you know, if Canada was to come out with uh, you know a, 
um, an RFP for a Europa mission. Um, well, yeah, we'll say we'll say it an RFP for a Europa mission. Well, you know, depending on how big that is and and how many you know Canadian companies could actually participate in that, uh, it might be very difficult for a company X to say, yeah, I'm going to spend some time uh, developing you know my capabilities or um, you know investing my resources and in, in, in going towards that uh, particular goal, whereas you know, the commercial profitability, you know, uh, you know, from, from, from participating may be very low as compared to, oh, you know, uh, if I can uh, support a mining enterprise on the moon that maybe is mining water or, or something else that's much more valuable that I can actually get a more near-term return on, uh, that is much more interesting, I think, to, to most of, uh, of industry. So anyway, I mean, obviously this, this RP is looking at the cislunar space, as, as you said, so um, it, it does make sense for most of our uh, industry partners and, and even academic uh, and some nonprofits uh, to be interested uh, in this. So, um, but I think there's always a, you know, sort of a, a profitability uh, horizon or, or, or aspect that, that industry kind of looks for uh, in these in these. Um, these endeavors. I agree with you 100% with that. Um, having been part of some proposals in the past, uh, where you know you, you look at the actual man hour costs within the company, uh, you know it's like you start adding up the numbers, and it's like, well, if we get this, hmm, we may not even break even on this. Um, but having said that, um, I think you know this is a little bit of a change from the recent past. Instead of government dictating what technologies uh, based on, you know, feedback that we should be investing in, uh, you know, here's a call for ideas, basically an open call for ideas for within all the scopes of what they've uh, listed, plus other ideas that they may not have thought of. I think that's a little bit refreshing in terms of compared to how it's been done in the past. Mm -hmm. And and I guess the other thing I'd be interested or curious about is does the space advisory board play any role here uh, you know had, do they play a role in, in in encouraging the csa to generate the rfi are they going to play a role in maybe evaluating some of the ideas i mean did, did some of the ideas on that list come from uh the sab uh, interactions over the past year I, i'd like to know that well that that's very interesting um, we'll have to do. I'll have to do some digging on that. I'm going to guess. Well, first of all, the SAP's only been around since April, so um, they've, been, they've been busy. <laughs> yeah, but they've been focusing on on on, on one particular issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Although in the future they'll they'll definitely broaden their scope. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have been involved in this at all. Uh, but, but, uh, but 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 you have to you have to remember that the from what I understand the report that the SAB submitted to to ICED was submitted to ICED, not to the Canadian Space Agency. Although I'm sure the Canadian Space Agency would have gotten a copy of it. Um, we hope. But I think this RFI has been in the planning for some while, so I don't think the SAB had much in the way to do with it, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, well, again, I, hopefully, it, as I said, I mean, hopefully it's, it's a an element of our government exercising some infrastructure leadership in terms of trying to guide and, 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 and help industry move towards, you know, a profitable future, I guess, in space. Yeah, and this all comes down to what it always comes down to is how will the government uh, support uh, the Canadian space sector uh, with resources? And uh, we're not seeing much in the way of uh, significant uptick in that area. Uh, we still have to wait in for the fall 
call for the uh, new uh, space strategy and with whatever concrete action that's going to uh, come from that. Okay, so moving on to trade agreements. Um, On September 21st, I believe, the... uh, Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement with the European Space uh, with the European Union uh, is going to come into effect. At least uh, the precursor stuff. Um, and as I've written extensively about it, uh, it seems that uh, when Canada was negotiating that deal, they dropped the ball uh, with respect to the space sector. Um, Many industry sources have told me that there are some issues uh, with it, whereby uh, the European Union will have access to uh, bidding on Canadian uh, government contracts, uh, but the reciprocal of Canadian entities bidding on European Union uh, contracts for agencies that are a part of the CETA trade agreement is uh, uh, is uh, extremely uh, limited in that all the major European uh, space agencies, individual national space agencies, uh, like uh, the Italian Space Agency, CNES, the French Space Agency, DLR, German Space Agency, UK Space Agency, even though UK is going to be uh, out of the uh, Brexit, or well, they're going to be out of the European Union, um, that um, none of those agencies are actually uh, a part of CETA, so we can't actually bid on any contracts that come out of them. So we have CETA. Uh, there's obviously ongoing preliminary discussions to talk about a free trade agreement with China. Uh, there's definitely a lot of um, angst about possibly doing something with China on the technology side. Uh, and then, of course, now we have NAFTA that is going to be uh, being reopened and, and renegotiated, although uh, <laughs> uh, based on transcripts that were released last week uh, of the phone calls between Can- uh, uh, President Trump and the Mexican leader, uh, well, they don't even think about Canada. So <laughs> what are your yeah. thoughts on trade agreements? Yeah, so... You know, as you know, with the Canadian uh, space industry footprint in terms of commercialization of, of our space technologies, the, the the large majority of the profits uh, for for our industry, you know, they come from out, out of out of Canada. They come from, you know, our our various uh, companies, you know, selling stuff uh, externally to to Canada. So it only makes sense that Canada has to sort of keep a button on, keep a focus on these various types of agreements uh, that are going to hopefully uh, keep the doors open for our, our Canadian businesses, our space space businesses, to uh, to compete and to remain relevant in uh, in international um, you know projects and and, and programs. Um, you know, so you know they have to be able to 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 have access to these agreements. But as you say, I mean, there 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 could be some pitfalls uh, if you know somebody's not reading all the fine print or they're not you know they're not really you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's uh, as far as doing a real 360 review on the effectiveness of, of some of these uh, agreements, just like, like CETA. NAFTA, you know, is, uh, is going to be interesting. Um, and again, I don't know how, how much of a direct effect on the space industry is, is going to be, but, you know, here, you know, and kind of, now we're kind of getting into politics or this, but, but here is one area where, you know, tr- you know, the, the Trump administration can sort of make, 
you know, inroads, I guess, so, you know, because they can't do it with uh, immigration, controlling their immigration, or they can't do anything with their health care and, and so forth. But they, they probably can make some some, some real waves uh, in, in forcing both Mexico and, and Canada back to the table. And so, you know, negotiations are, are usually just that. They're, they're negotiations. And, and, and more often than not, you, you, you always tend to lose something uh, when, when you go into negotiations. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what, what happens there. The, the thing about the China, uh, the Chinese uh, free trade agreement, and I'm sure this is probably one of, the, one of the bigger things that comes out of that is you know it, it, a lot of it is all about intellectual property uh, and, uh, and and controlling and protecting uh, that 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 IP that you know Canadian companies are, are you know feverishly developing a lot of it on their own dime sometimes via grants sometimes you know via you know other types of uh, TDPs or, or, or whatever but when, when it comes right down to it you know whatever is developed uh, at whatever technology readiest level it is um, it has to be protected you know and it, it, it's great to look at you know China 1.5 billion people uh, however it is there uh, big market uh, but if, if at, at the end of the day, you know, we lose our IP and, and lose our competitive advantage, that's not really going to do us any good. I agree with you 100% on that. And so it'll be up to the government to uh, have the negotiators in place that are that are keeping an eye on that. And and uh, hopefully they'll do a better job than uh, the CETA agreement. Um, OK, uh, a couple more topics here. Um Recently, uh, the uh, SEDS Canada, which is the Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, uh, conducted its uh, reduced gravity uh, experiment uh, design challenge. Um, so this was an ongoing competition. 21 universities across Canada uh, submitted uh, proposals to participate in this, I believe it was a two-day event in Ottawa uh, that included the, um, uh, the Canadian Space Agency uh, and, of course, the National Research Council, and they were using a National Research Council Falcon 20 to uh, to do the uh, experiments. Uh, of those 21 teams, four teams were selected to participate in the experiments, uh, and they had uh, two teams go per day. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, uh, you know this is a, a great thing uh, that says Canada has done in putting this together, working with uh, Canadian Space Agency and the National Research Council, uh, and that uh, it's certainly engaging students, and, and that over the last few years, uh, and I've been a supporter of this, uh, of getting SEDS Canada into more universities, more active, uh, but uh, uh, their one-time president a few years ago who I had worked with, uh, Kaizad uh, Ray Malwala, uh, who now works at Mission Control Space services in Ottawa uh, needs to be credited for really helping and of course there was other people but uh, did you pay attention to this and, and what did you think of uh, uh, the challenge? Well, you know, yeah, I've, I've certainly I've followed a bit there uh, online and uh, um, um, and and getting some of your uh, updates is, is is always great. The, the to me this is just another example of you know on, on the one hand uh, you, you, we know. You know, the government likes to spend our, our money, okay. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean, they, they, you know, they do, you know, have a budget. They have to spend it, and and and, and so they need to do that. Um, but I think it is a good example of where, um, at least, at least, it seems like a good overt example where the government seems to be listening and 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 is encouraging more ideas from. In this case, uh, you know, academia, student-led academia, uh, in partnership with uh, you know the National Research Council, and uh, and also bringing in the, the Canadian Space Agency. So this is the, these are kind of things that that, that we want to see because it, it really is is, is show, sort of uh, um, 
produce an environment or at least encourage an environment where, you know, the government's saying, look, we don't know everything. Um, we, we think we, we, we're pretty sure that industry and academia out there have a lot of good ideas and maybe if they can get together and they can, you know, speak in our language of how we can help them, then we could probably move forward on, on a lot of, uh, technological and capability fronts. So, you know, so, so, so you know, this, 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 um, particular uh, competition, this, this, this challenge, uh, what really kind of stood out for me is again, if you kind of look at, you know, is, is this make sense towards this lunar, uh, maybe lunar operations, or whatever. Yeah, it does, right? Because it's, it's looking at, you know, you know, some of these things are like, you know, how do liquids uh, coil or perform, you know, in, in, in microgravity, and and you know, if we're doing mining operations, you know, like, you know, you know, how can we, you know, sort of filter out uh, the various minerals, or how do we filter out uh, the, the the dust particles and stuff that that's um, that we're gonna that we expect, and and so so you know, those kind of technologies are are, are very important, and it gets. Um, you know, it gets the, the younger people starting to think about that uh, at the right level and bring in some of those answers uh, to industry and, and to the government. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, there were 21 proposals. They were all uh, good. Uh, unfortunately, they could only fly uh, four of them. Uh, and the floor, four that did fly were from uh, the University of Alberta, which was the Interfacial Science and uh, Surface Engineering Lab. Um, which had dealt with uh, 3D uh, printing. Uh, and then we had uh, Carleton University with the Carleton Off-Planet uh, Specialized uh, Mining Experiment, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously the what you were just talking about, uh, technologies for mining. Uh, University of Saskatchewan uh, Space Design Team with their uh, Spinning Terrestrial Analog Regolith Filtering Operation Experiment. And then from the University of Toronto, uh, Analyzing Viscosity and Inertia in Liquids Experiment. So uh, my hat's off uh, to all of them for uh, participating, coming up with some great ideas that have some, uh, uh, you know, uh, very interesting uh possibilities in the future. Um, right. Sorry, and, and, and I just want to make sure I underscore. I mean, one of the key capabilities, of course, that they, they're bringing to this challenge is by bringing in the National Research Council and, as you say, their Falcon 20 aircraft to do so those hyperbolic um, uh, flights to do, you know, to, to do that microgravity, uh, th- those experiments and create that micro- microgravity uh, environment. So, I mean, you know, again, hats off to, to, to those individuals that organize it because, yeah, they identified which, which uh, you know, capabilities and, and partners really need to be involved uh, to, to move this forward and, and really at, at, at probably pretty low cost. Well, Wayne, I want to thank you for, again, sharing your insights on uh, recent events. Uh, uh, I think we're doing this on about a once-a-month basis now, and I think we'll keep it up since uh, uh, we get to cover a broad spectrum of topics as opposed to uh, the podcast just doing a weekly interview, which is great as well. But uh, thank you again for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Q Podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find Space Q on Twitter at Canada in Space and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook at The Space Q and don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn at Mark K. Boucher and if we're connected, you'll get Space Q articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing a review if you're so inclined.